Welcome to Invest Like a Woman. I'm your host, Gabby Slemmer, founder of Finasana and chartered financial analyst. In this podcast, we'll break down investing, money, and everything in between to help you build your money confidence and feel good about your finances. Let's get right into it. Hey guys, welcome back to Invest Like a Woman. Last time we wrapped up the Investing 101 mini-series and we talked all about introduction to investing. This week we're going to switch gears a little bit and ask some hard questions. What is wealth? What does it mean to be wealthy? How do you become wealthy? And how do you grow your wealth? How do you protect the wealth that you have? What are strategies that will help you get rich? Whatever that means to you. And we'll get into what I mean by that. So as you know from listening to this podcast, I talk a lot about very specific things about money and investing and managing your finances, but the behavioral aspect about it comes in a lot, right? We talk a lot about some esoteric, slightly woo-woo at times. Speaking of woo, I'm going to quickly plug. Last week, I went on my dear friend Sasha's podcast, which is all about Ayurveda. And we talked about Ayurveda and finance and got real woo at times, which was a lot of fun and really, really valuable. So highly recommend you guys listen to that. It's called Ojis Oasis and available wherever you get your podcasts, just like this one. So anyways, today we're going to talk all about wealth and what it means and how to get there, as, as mentioned. So when we think about growing our wealth, the first thing that I want everyone to take a second to do is think about what does wealth mean to you? When you think about someone who's wealthy or you think about wanting to maybe be wealthy, what does that mean? Do you think about a number? Do you think about your own bank account? Maybe do you think about a lifestyle? Type of life you want to live, types of things you want to have? Or do you think about a career, a job, a salary? There are so many different ways to measure wealth. And of course, there's so many different ways to create wealth. But before we think about strategies that we can use to grow our wealth, we have to think about what it even means in the first place, right? We can't try to attain something if we can't define it in the first place. And being wealthy is one of those things that everyone talks about. It's, I want to say stigmatized, but that's perhaps not the right word, but there's a lot of expectation and feelings and assumptions around this word. It's kind of a heavy word, just like being poor is a heavy word. But we can also think about the difference between being rich and being wealthy. The reason I bring this up is that there's a really good little diagram that I've seen that I actually posted about it on my Instagram a while ago. So you can go back and look through the Finasana Instagram if this isn't making sense to you because I'm going to try to verbally explain what it is. But it's the difference between being rich and being wealthy. So if you think about being rich and you think about an iceberg that 90% of its surface is above water and there's only a little bit underneath the water, 
then being wealthy is pretty much the opposite of that. You're going to invert the iceberg so that you have 90% of it below water, i.e. what you can't see, and only 10% of it above water. So the reason I bring this up is because wealth is something that a lot of times you can't see in other people, whereas riches you can very clearly see. Riches, the kind of car they drive, the kind of clothes they wear, the watch on their hands, the shoes on their feet, what they're posting on their Instagram about traveling all the time, whatever it is, all these outward, generally very material things that people decide to show you. It's that classic Carrie Bradshaw quote from Sex in the City that she says, I like my money where I can see it hanging in my closet. I personally like my money where I cannot see it hidden in my bank account and I know it's going to be there to support me. But it bears repeating. It's worth talking about because for some people, for a lot of people, you see someone who's outwardly rich and that's who you aspire to be like because you can see it. But in reality, that's usually not what you want if you, of course, I'm generalizing here. I'm speaking in groups of people. This isn't everybody, but a lot of times what you see only scratches the surface so much of the time. And to that point, I want to bring up this idea of being wealthy and having a lot of money in the bank and having wealth or assets or high net worth, which I'm going to get into slightly, versus making a lot of money. And having money versus being good with money or, again, buying really expensive stuff versus having loads of the bank. So I'm just going to ask a quick question, a riddle, if you will. What do Lady Gaga, Mike Tyson, Michael Jackson, 50 Cent, and Nicolas Cage have in common? Some of you might know the answer to this. They've all declared bankruptcy. All of these people, incredibly famous, incredibly rich, have made millions and millions and millions of dollars, yet somehow managed to outspend their means, even though their means were incredibly high. There's actually a story that I always like repeating about Rihanna that she sued her financial advisor because she, I forget the details and I should probably know this if I'm going to repeat it, but she spent way more money than she made, got close to going bankrupt. I don't know if she actually quite went bankrupt and then sued her financial advisor. And in court, he said, his, this was his defense or part of it. I didn't think I had to tell her if she spent everything that she made, she wouldn't have anything left. Now, of course, that's an extreme example. I don't know the specifics. Um, I'm not trying to bad talk Rihanna, but it just happens to so many of us. And it's just so important for us to constantly hear these stories and hear these things because when you don't make a lot of money, it's easy to blame the fact that you don't make a lot of money on the fact that you don't have a lot of money. And you always think, well, if only my salary was higher, if only I made this much money, if only I had it. But in reality, it's about making money, but it's also about protecting your the money that you do have and spending in a way that is going to make you feel wealthy, which by the way, for a lot of us, wealth isn't just about money. A lot of us can feel wealthy in other ways, and that goes into success and all of these different mindsets about money and wealth and success, but achieving financial freedom, getting to a point where you feel wealthy is about having enough and having enough savings, investments, cash, assets to afford the kind of life that you want for yourself and your family, whatever that means to you. Now, that's 
a pretty Google definition, right? It, I think that actually is the definition when I Google what is financial freedom. But when we try to break that down, we can break it down into two things, having enough and affording the kind of life that you want. Now, this concept of enough, that is something that's really hard. Most of us, the vast majority of us, I assume, would think that people like Rihanna and Nicolas Cage and Lady Gaga had enough money. I mean, it's, it'd be hard to prove otherwise. But the fact is that they were all able to run into financial trouble, and I'm sure they were incredibly financially stressed. So it's really important to, A, manage your money well and protect your wealth, which I'm, I am going to get into, but B, have real, honest, candid conversations with yourself about what does wealth mean to you? What is enough? And have something to aspire to and set goals and have an idea. I personally always recommend people to even think about this, like if I won the lottery number, because otherwise you're always aspiring to like, I want more, 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 more without thinking about, well, when is more enough? And do I think I'm ever going to hit my, I win the lottery number? Honestly, no, probably not. But it's just nice to know that there's a cap and it also forces you to have conversations with yourself that are more than just about money. What do you want money for? Is it to eat out every day? Is it to go on nice vacations? Is it to buy fancy cars? If you had all of the choice in the world and you could give certain things up or focus on certain aspects of your life, like money or time or material things versus experience, Life is all about choices and money is no different. So to go back a little bit about this enough thing, there's a really crazy quote that always shocks me every time I hear it and every time I repeat it. In 2015, UBS did a study and they looked at a group of people that were objectively wealthy. They were basically trying to look at rich people and figure out the, why they live the way that they do, what they spend money on, how they feel, et cetera, et cetera. And out of a group of people who were objectively wealthy, they were worth between $1 and $5 million, less than a third of them considered themselves wealthy. Let that sink in. These are people who are worth more than a million dollars, in some cases up to $5 million, that don't consider themselves wealthy. If they don't consider themselves wealthy, who does? And what's even crazier, the same report found that no matter how much money people had, whether it was 50000 or $5 million, and asked what would make them feel wealthy, regardless of where they were starting at, the number was always twice as much as they currently had. And what does this tell us? Expectations rise along with your net worth. This is lifestyle creep. Lifestyle creep in action. You hang out with people who make more money as you yourself start to make more money and the expectations rise, your expectations rise. When you become habituated to the things that you used to romanticize, that is when lifestyle creep is probably at its peak and it's time to look at yourself and ask, ask yourself questions. I mean, I'm not saying that it's wrong necessarily. I'm just saying don't let it become something automatic that's then going to eat into your literal wealth. So how can you measure wealth? 
we talked a little bit about thinking about what it means to you. And I do think it's really important to do that exercise and to think about it, not just from a number in your bank account, but from a things that you want to do. So I joke around a lot that if I had enough money to afford first class tickets, I would be good. I don't need to make any more money. That's like my cap. I'm like, I don't need private jets. I don't want to be rich and famous. I'm just, that's my limit. Not there yet, by the way. That's kind of what I mean. Like, I don't need fancy shoes. I don't need designer stuff, but I like eating out. Some people are the opposite. You can like traveling. You could want to spend money in your house, whatever it is. Just know what those things are to you. From a financial perspective, we need to actually be able to measure how much we're worth so that we can track it and analyze and go back to it, right? So there are three different ways that we can objectively measure how wealthy we are. The first way is by looking at our net worth. Your net worth is simply your total assets or all of the things of value in your financial life that you own, like your house, your cash, your investment accounts, your retirement accounts. And subtract out your liabilities, which are all of the things in your financial life that you owe. Most notably debt. Consumer debt is the biggest culprit that's going to be eating away at your wealth, especially because debt carries interest rates. Consumer debt, like your credit card, the interest rate is going to be really, really high and chip away at your total net worth. So this one number, which is your assets less your liability, is your financial net worth, not to be confused with self-worth. Second way that we can measure wealth is by looking at your cash flow. So your savings rate specifically. What's your monthly savings divided by your monthly income? How much of your take-home pay are you saving every month and able to use as discretionary spending? And then number three is more of like a business concept, but I'm going to repurpose it here for purposes of looking at your wealth because I think it's really important, is your operating leverage. If shit hit the fan and you needed to save money, could you? And that's what this number is going to tell us. You take your variable expenses or all of your expenses that change every month. So we're not talking your rent. We're not talking about your phone bill, not talking about your grocery expenses, just the things that change every month and you could cut out if you need to, divided by your total expenses. The lower that number, so the lower your variable expense divided by your total expense is, the more flexibility you're going to have. If you need to save more money, if something bad happens and you need to lower your expenses every month to be able to save more money or spend it on other things, the more flexibility you're going to have. We can measure wealth in these three ways, but what are we what are we using our wealth for? In different stages of your life, you're using the money you have in lots of different ways. So there's three ways that you can fund your life at any stage. One of them is active income. So you're working for a job and getting paid in exchange for the hours you work and your effort. Usually this is what most of us are dealing with before we retire. Then you have passive income. Passive income is any income generated that doesn't require you to exchange time for compensation. Like when you're invested in stocks and you get paid dividends or when you own properties and you get paid rent. Basically, you could sit on the couch, watch TV, and still have money coming in from the seeds that you sowed today or yesterday. And then the third way is 
eating into your savings, essentially, what we call capital distribution, distributing the capital that you've accumulated. Now, this sounds pretty obvious and it sounds silly, but the reason why I bring it up and why it's important is when we think about creating wealth and preserving our wealth, we also have to think about what we're spending money on because it costs money to live, right? It's expensive. You're always going to be spending money, but you're also wanting to grow your wealth. So how can you balance that out in a way that isn't going to deprive you of everything in the short term, but is going to grow your bank account and make sure you're comfortable in the long run? It's all about creating and retaining the wealth that you have. Because in retirement, that active income for most of us is going to go away. So we're going to have to rely on a combination of passive income if you have it, which many of us don't, and capital distribution, which is eating away at your savings. So what does this tell us? If you're going to be eating away at your savings in retirement, you don't want to be eating away at your savings throughout the rest of your life. It sounds really obvious, but it just these things bear repeating because usually we end up tripping on little rocks, not the big mountains. And what this tells us is that the decisions you make today impact your future. So in past episodes, we've talked about three really important rules that everything I talk about can pretty much fall into one of those three buckets, which is saving money, getting rid of bad debt, and investing for the future. But if you want to take actionable steps to improve your finances and grow your wealth, what are steps that you can actually take? How can you look at your finances and figure out how much money you need to save or how much debt you need to pay off, how much you need to invest and increase your nest egg? So here is a little model that you can follow to figure out what you should be doing to grow your wealth. So the first step is taking stock of where you are today. What does your financial situation look like? What's your net worth? What's your savings rate? What's your operating leverage? What are your fixed expenses and your variable expenses? This can sound overwhelming, but it really is the first step and make sure that when you know what you're starting from, you're laying yourself a good foundation to improve on. And how can you improve something where you don't know where you're starting from? And again, I, I sometimes when we talk about this, it, it just it sounds too obvious, and I can feel the eye rolls happening from listeners of this podcast who are like, "Ugh, I thought I was going to listen to actually how to grow my wealth," but it sounds so basic that many of us don't end up doing it, and many of us think we can add all of these different accounts up, and you're like, "Oh, I have a couple thousand from my first job ten years ago. I don't know where that." retirement account is. I haven't aggregated them. It's somewhere. There's a couple thousand. It's not that big deal. I have a thousand in debt on this credit card. I know I can pay that off. I have a couple thousand in this bank account. But there's all this money hiding in different places. And unless you write it all down in one place, it's really, really hard to track your progress and to grow and to know whether you're on the right path. So Take the time to do this. Sit down and put it all on paper. Then step two, use that information to identify your goals. I'm going to go through a quick little checklist that 
it's going to help you identify what to focus on. And this is pretty much in descending order. So first, go through all of your monthly expenses and see where you can maximize your monthly savings to try to squeeze out more money to save to maximize your savings rate, which is the number one predictor of future wealth. That bears repeating. Your savings rate, not how much money you make, is the number one predictor of future wealth. Step two, do you have an emergency fund? An emergency fund is a pot of money that you're going to keep in cash that is going to protect you in a rainy day. This is usually recommended to be anywhere between three to nine months of expenses, depending how comfortable you are with risk or depending how stable your income is and how high your fixed expenses are. The higher the fixed expenses you have, like a mortgage or a car payment, the bigger your emergency fund should probably be. Then think about plan your year out by your financial obligations and contribute to expensive items ahead of time. Now, these are often referred to as sinking funds, and it basically just means like creating an envelope of money for any big thing that you have planned, like a trip or Christmas presents or birthday presents or potential, I don't know, you want to buy a new car, whatever it is, save up for those things separately. Don't just keep adding money to your savings then at the end of the year pull from your savings because again, it's going to be really hard to measure how much of your savings you used for treat yourself presents versus how much you actually increased it by your savings rate. So if you ever get to the end of the quarter of the year and are like, oh my God, I've been saving all year and I don't have that much more money than I started with, what happened? this is probably what happened. You feel like you're trying to scrimp and save a little bit every month, and then you blow it on a couple random big expenses. Then number four, pay off your high interest rate consumer debt. This is pretty much any debt that's not your mortgage. Mortgages are good debt. They help you build equity in something. So we don't classify mortgages as bad debt as long as you're on track with your payments and don't get foreclosed, obviously. Then after you've maximized your savings, you have an emergency fund, you're saving up for things that you know are coming, you've paid off your high interest debt, this is when you start thinking about investing your money and building a long-term foundation for your wealth to really grow. And I save this to last because your debt usually is growing at a higher rate than your future investments are going to grow at. So it's really important that you first pay off your debt, which is growing really, really fast. And then you invest your money and set yourself up for long-term growth. So once you've identified your goal or your next goal, make a plan. Make a plan to stick to it. And I, I know this is so cheesy and honestly, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of saying it, but I know it works. It's these like smart plans and you might have heard it in some like business class goal setting in college or something, but they're so popular because they, they are good. They do work. They help us think of objective goals. So it's one thing to say, I want to pay off my credit card debt. It's another thing to say, I'm going to put a hundred dollars towards my debt each month for the next 12 months to pay off a little bit more than a thousand in a year. That's a lot more actionable. It's a lot easier to hold yourself accountable and it's time-based. And then after you do this, keep going back to it. 
Money management is a never-ending process, unfortunately. Money is going to be with us for the rest of our lives, and we want to set ourselves up for success. So track what you're doing, analyze, adjust if something's not working, try something else, and repeat. You want to set yourself up from success from the beginning because it's going to be a lot easier to achieve it in the long run. But the thing is, you have to monitor your progress. We change and evolve as humans as we grow up, as we go through the seasons, as we go through life. Our finances should too. Key takeaways. What did we learn today? One, that it's important to define what being wealthy means. It's important to think about what our enough number would be. We also learned that your savings rate is the number one predictor of future wealth and that wealth creation is just as important as wealth retention. And of course, our three handy money rules to guide you. Save money, get rid of bad debt, usually consumer debt, and invest for the future. Hopefully this was a meaningful discussion and got you thinking about wealth in new ways. I look forward to continuing the conversation next time. Thanks for listening to Invest Like a Woman. To learn more and continue your journey, visit us on thenasana.com, download our app, or follow us on Instagram. I'll see you next time.